0: Hey, this is Camille from Remodel Your Life. I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand that I recently discovered that I think you might love too. Have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance, only to find out that it doesn't fit your body right? I absolutely hate when this happens. So I was so happy to discover Athena Outfitters and they is a game changer for me. They have a quality workwear brand that they source from all around the world. All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trade specifically, not just size-down versions of items designed by men. They've got great workwear essentials, plus some other super cute other clothing for me to wear when I get off from a job site. Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting such a great quality that's going to fit my body correctly. So next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out AthenaOutfitters.com. And if you're looking for a great holiday gift for yourself or a hardworking woman in your life, use my code RYL15 to save 15% off anything they sell. All right, so that's AthenaOutfitters.com. Use the code RYL15 to save 15% today and go check them out. I think you're going to really love them. So let's get on with the show.
1: Hey ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I have a really, really interesting woman to introduce you to. Ellie Hart is a Korean carpenter. She is really beautiful and small, and she is a carpenter. And I am so happy that she is joining me here today. Um, Ellie, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Uh thanks so much for having me on.
1: Yeah, so you have an amazing Australian accent. So I have to sort of ask, um, <laughs> How did you become a carpenter? And then also how did you get to be in Canada from Australia? Like tell us a little bit about that story and your background.
2: Oh man, it's a long story. There isn't a whole <laughs> lot to say there, but I always feel like I end up joining on and on about it. But uh I I yeah, I was born and raised in Australia. Um never even thought to come to Canada until I met a Canadian in Sydney and we ended up coming here together it was only meant to be for a short little while but then i ended up uh staying and i was working as a journalist at the time i i brought my job over with me we made an arrangement so that that was possible and then i was working from home for like three years at a desk on my own it was really like you know like this you know in a pandemic it's like you you know it it reminds me of that time when you Mm -hmm. when you're just kind of on your own working so uh, I was working at a desk for a long time and to uh, distract myself from how unhappy I was, I started woodworking as a hobby and it mm. kind of, that's where it all started.
1: Wow. That's awesome. So are there any similarities between being a journalist and being a carpenter? Cause now you're a, you know, what they call a, a ticketed journey journeyman. You're, you have your uh, red seal. I think they call it in Canada, but are there any similarities between journalism and carpentry because there must be some crossover I would imagine
2: oh um I find that they're very different like I find myself Mm -hmm. constantly comparing my experience as a carpenter with what it was like working as a journalist at a desk hunched over a computer all day and Mm -hmm. there are very few similarities there's just the industries that it's just so different and there is the only thing that you know, that I have in common now with what I did as a journalist is that I still, I I write about it. Um, And that's how it makes sense of what my experience is like today as a carpenter.
1: Interesting. And so where do you write, where do you like share those stories and stuff?
2: I I have a journal on Instagram. Um, So I kind of like, you know, write about things that happen day to day, not all the time. Like I go for, there's, you know, often a big gap between posts, but it helps me just kind of like consolidate what, what goes on, um, you know, over the span of a few months. And by writing it down, it helps me get a better understanding of what it is that I went through. And it feels, it's it's almost like a cathartic experience in a sense. I get it out.
1: Interesting. So what, what drew you to carpentry? Like what made you like doing it? I mean, for me personally, like, I just love the independent, I like the movement. I like being able to move around and sort of solve problems and physically move through the space. Right. I, I had a really hard time sitting behind a desk all the time. So I don't know if that's how you felt too, but like, what is it that drew you to it originally?
2: Yeah. So I, I did get tired of sitting at a desk all day. Um, I didn't feel like it's just, when you're not living and working in the same country as your audience, you just feel it's there's a disconnect there, and I wasn't. Um, I just kind of became disillusioned with with the whole idea of of working in publishing. So I started doing woodworking as a hobby, and then I realized at some point that if I really wanted to make a make a go of this, um, I needed some training. Everything that I had learned up to that point was all self taught, but I recognized that there were gaps in my knowledge. Um, And that if I really wanted to get good at this, I would need some kind of training. So I signed up for a carpentry apprenticeship. I tossed between, like, I I wasn't sure if I should do carpentry or joinery and ended up choosing carpentry because I thought that by doing that, I could, it would include stuff that you do in joinery. But I realized afterwards that that's so not true. They're two very different programs. And I definitely could not do today what someone who had trading in joinery could do. So um, I chose carpentry because I thought in terms of gainful employment that was uh, the smarter option and I don't have any regrets there. Um, I do sometimes think about what I might have missed out on by not doing the joinery program, but I I saw that through to the end. I finished my apprenticeship. It's a four-year apprenticeship here and uh, I got my ticket and – it was, I guess what really drew me to it was I liked building things. I liked being able to use my hands, use my mind and be able to see and touch and feel. And sometimes you even smell it, like you're using all five of your senses and that's something that like, I I just couldn't get away from it. So I just, Mm -hmm. I was like, why couldn't I make this a career?
1: Yeah, so how long, so if you went to your apprentice for four years, How long did it take you to get your first sort of full-time position and where was that at?
2: Uh, So because I didn't have any job site experience whatsoever, I did a six-month pre-apprenticeship program, which is kind of designed for for people who don't have any experience in the trades. Um, And it gave me levels one and two of the technical training and like 450 work hours. So it was something that I could put on my resume. I just didn't feel like I could go knocking on doors and asking for a job because I don't look like a typical construction worker.
1: <laughs>
2: and this was my way of mitigating, you know, the rejection it was like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to, you know, get some training and be like, Hey, at least I have this. I also went and got my first aid level one. Cause I felt like I needed more than, more than that. And um, what's your
1: first aid level one then for people that may not know that.
2: Uh, it's just, it's like a day course where you learn like the basics of, the very basics of first aid, how to give CPR, Mm -hmm. how to bandage someone up, Um, but it expires after three years. So mine's long expired now, Mm -hmm. but I applied for jobs on Craigslist. I shortlisted Mm -hmm. um, a whole bunch of ads, kind of picked out the ones that I liked. I applied for, I think, seven of them. I heard back from four of them. I interviewed with two Mm -hmm. and, and then I started working for a design build firm as an apprentice carpenter. That was my very first job in construction.
1: Take me back to that like first week, <laughs> like, like the first day, what it was like, the first hour, right? Because I still remember the first time I stepped on a job site and just how intimidating that was, right? In oh, yeah. In the very yeah. beginning. So can totally. you tell us like what was the first kind of task that they had you do? And then by like the end of the week, what were you doing? Do you remember?
2: I do. Yeah. So we were doing um, a renovation. It was an illegal renovation. They wanted to turn the attic space into a conditioned living space. And they actually um, had me cutting uh, two by fours for a temporary guardrail. And I remember saying to my boss, oh no, I cut this piece a little bit too short. And he's like, how much shorter did you make it? And I said, I think I'm under by an eighth. He's like, it's a temporary guardrail. It's okay. <laughs> remember, like <laughs> yeah, no, I was mortified because uh, I was thinking, oh my yeah. god, I cut. You know, I didn't cut it at the right length, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to impress yeah. here. I feel like I have a lot to prove. Um, so yeah, I stayed there for a year, and the after the first week, it, it was good because there were a small company. I was really working with, um, so there was you know the foreman who I reported to, and then I was working with another journeyman carpenter. And so it was just like really the three of us at the time. And that was important to me. I felt like I honestly didn't feel like commercial construction was something that I could do like right off the bat without any, you know, experience. So I was like, I'm going to shoot for something like, you know, a smaller residential jobs because it were, it feels like that would be less intimidating. And I'm glad that it did that because I think um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have stuck around if I had jumped straight into a commercial site.
1: right. What did you learn confidence wise? We have a lot of women that are sort of looking to move up or they've been there. They've been at a job for a little while, but they're really nervous about sort of letting go of something for something more. Right. And I remember myself, like that is a really scary time because you've had some success, right. And you don't want to rock the boat and you're not really sure that anything else is going to pan out. So like, when you had to leave that, what was your decision-making process of why you sort of left that first job after a year and like, how did you have the confidence to reach for something a little bit more, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's tough. I definitely felt uh, quite a bit of anxiety leaving that job because, it, you know, like after a year, I felt like I had, I I, I worked really hard to, to feel like I belong there You know, it was only the three of us, but I still felt like, you know, um, I wanted them to know that, that I wanted them to feel like they were glad that they had hired me. So to leave that behind, it was not an easy decision to make. Um, My heart was telling me to stay because I liked the people, I liked the work, they were good to me. Um, But then, my head was saying that I should move on because in terms of improving my skill set, I felt that a lot of the work that I was doing um, with the company I was with, you know, as an apprentice, I think we often get treated as like glorified laborers. You know, employers have a responsibility to us to, to, to do the due diligence and train up their um. You know, train up their employees and give a wide variety of learning experiences. But the reality of the job site just really is not conducive to that. Um, so I was like, you know what? this the an opportunity came up for me to go and work for a um, a developer on multifamily housing developments. And I was like, I feel like I'd have a lot to learn there. so i I decided to go for it. But I didn't do it until I had actually gone and met with the person who would eventually be my boss. I wanted to suss it out. I was like, it's really important to me that I'm going to be working somewhere that, you know, I feel comfortable, you know, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. And so it was important to me to go and check it out. I went to the job site. I met the people. I, I looked at what they were doing and I was like, would I be happy here? Would this be something that I, you know, would I regret making that decision? But it's like, it's not an easy decision to make. I mean, like your circumstances don't always allow for it. It's a risk that you're taking in the end so yeah, it's not easy.
1: And so then how long were you at that job then? The first job? The, the second job?
2: That's where I'm at now. Uh, I've been oh, okay. there for, so
1: still- oh, got it. Okay. I've
2: been there for nearly four years now.
1: Okay, nice. And so now that's a commercial, what you would consider a commercial job then, correct?
2: That's right. Well, it's commercial in the sense that like we're doing multifamily housing, but it's mm-hmm. it's not at all like the, the jobs that I did with the first company that I was working for. Hmm.
1: And so what, how much do you, would you say that you've grown at this company um, compared to where you were before? So, I mean, clearly it feels like it was worth the risk to move on. Um, and so what, what do you think you've really learned at this place that's, that's um, you know, that's really made it worth the job?
2: I don't think I can even put it into words. Um, I have to, really stop and think about like um on a on a big picture level because day to day it's such a struggle like I feel like it's such a battle every day. You're always fighting with different sub trades to try and get the job done. There's different priorities that need to meet. Everyone's got their own goals and it's like I come home every day feeling so overwhelmed and exhausted and you know and, and some of those days I didn't even pick up at all. So it's like oh. Yeah
1: so if you I, basically if I, went from minimal responsibility Right, is just responsible for doing the best job you could every day with your tools. Too, it sounds like lots of responsibility, and and not a lot, of, not able to control all the elements yourself, right?
2: Exactly, it's it's mm-hmm. tough because you're like I think over time I just started taking on more and more responsibilities, and um, it felt like I was auditioning for a role that I didn't even know that I wanted. But I felt like I was, like, I understood why they were putting some of those responsibilities on my plate. I had the, I had gone to school, I had gotten some training, I knew how to read blueprints and you had a basic understanding of the building code. Like, like I could see why some of those those responsibilities ended up um, with me. And I was happy to take that on, but it meant that it was a steep learning curve and I didn't always have the support that I felt like I needed or wanted to do the job well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're probably really hard on yourself too.
2: (laughs) Like it sounds
1: like you're, it sounds like your expectations of yourself are probably twice as high as as anybody else. Um, And so, yeah, that's a, I find that's a really common trait of women in the trades is that they tend to take on uh, even added responsibility, right? They really, really care about the job and what's happening. Right. Uh, which is a good thing. So people that are listening and want to hire women in the trades, let me tell you, <laughs> they really, really care about the job. Uh, but it can be emotionally hard for you, right? Because you're taking on so much that some of it maybe is, isn't even your responsibility, but you just feel like you really care about what's happening. Um, what I know you and I've talked a little bit before about sort of the inefficiencies on the job site, which, which makes you feel kind of frustrated that, things aren't going exactly the way that, you know, you feel they could. Um, What have been some strategies that you've learned to try to make things a little bit more um, efficient? Is there anything that you have been able to uh, improve that you feel like you've been able to sort of come up with a little bit of a strategy?
2: Yeah, so, um, so we've just started working on a two and a half year long project. We're building 20 residential units and um, part of that job is like it's a heritage building with a whole bunch of retention requirements, and it's just an it's been an absolute nightmare trying to just go through the the, the structural upgrades for that. Um, but like, I think about the, the 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 challenges to me are like so profound in some ways. Like, I don't understand why the people that I work with don't see it the same way that I do. It's like. We all go through the same stress. Um, we all see the inefficiencies. We see the problems. And, like, what what doesn't sit well with me is just accepting it for what it is because that's how it's always been done.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, so I can relate to that. Yeah.
2: So one of the things so- that I have tried doing is, like, um, Improving the communication in terms of our just for our team, but also with all the different sub trades, and it's definitely easier said than done. But it's an effort that I'm putting in that I did not put in before.
1: Hmm. Meaning yeah. you are you are proactively sort of reaching out and trying to uh, maybe solve issues before they become bigger issues than that are that are basically not solvable at that point, or become real issues with the with the schedule.
2: That's right. So like, um, I have meetings with our crew, um, usually each morning, just a quick five minute meeting about what they can expect for that day. Who's coming to site, what we might have to be doing if we get pulled off something. And I think just relaying that information. Cause I know like, cause I, that that was me. I was like, I, I was so frustrated with not knowing, if I was going to get pulled off the task that I was all set up to do at any given moment, and I wanted to minimise that as much as possible for the people that I work with. So I was like, I think communication in that sense goes a really long way. And then I would go and find um, the different subtrades we have on site and just have a quick chat. What do you need from us? Is there going to be any potential problems? Anything that you need um, us to do for you in advance? just having that chat so that we know what to expect because so often like we just don't talk nobody really talks on the job side we're just so focused on getting it done that we don't have that conversation so I'm like that has to change like I don't want to be working in an environment where nobody's talking because it goes such a long way and I've noticed that the the sub trades that I do talk to they're a lot more receptive to um you know any requests that we have like I think that You know, it it goes such a long way, and it's it's just a small thing that I'm doing now that, and I see such a um, a big positive difference in that sense. And it and it and I think that the crew that I work with, um, our crew of carpenters. They 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 can see that I'm putting in the effort. I don't always get it right, but they can see that you know, like I mean well and I have good intentions there. And so they're they've been really supportive of me of that.
1: Yeah, well basically you're providing like a little bit of social lubrication, right, between the trades. Um, unless, you know, if anybody's listening and they've never worked in the trades, like there's all these like points of contention between rough carpenters and finished carpenters, and plumbers and electricians, and plumbers and framers, and right, like everybody wants to do it their way, the way they've been trained to do, and especially if it's their personality, right? They have sort of little things that they do a certain way. And those things don't always translate to the next person that comes right behind them right so you have that happening you have everybody has different bosses and different payment schedules and and like everybody just wants to get paid and finish their part right and so you're helping to create these little bridges between people where they can go oh if I just do this or I plan this a little bit better it can make it a little bit easier for this person right or yeah I actually needed this little thing and that'll make my job easier right so I love that you're proactively, basically providing these little bridges between people who want to make sure the job gets done correctly and quick, but often we're so stressed when we're worried about our own part, right? That we can't really see what it, we can't really see our the impact that we're doing on the next guy, right?
2: Exactly. And
1: um, I see this all the time. I was just <laughs> finishing a small job a couple of days ago and it was a very old house, but you could tell that the person that did it, the rough framer that did it before, didn't give a crap about the person that's coming behind him, right? Because it couldn't have been <laughs> more messed up for a finished carpenter, right? So I basically had to fix every single thing that he did, right? Oh, no. Just to try to make my stuff look decent, right? Yeah. And so you you magnifying that times, you know, a thousand different things in 20 houses, right? So um Yeah, I commend you on. I think that sounds really, really smart to sort of proactively have those conversations. And I know for a fact, if you were my boss and I was a carpenter underneath you, I would have appreciated that and would have been like, yeah, I really need this to get my job done today. Right. I think that's fabulous. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. What you're going to say? Yeah.
2: I guess what I'm thinking is like, I can't help but compare the experience that I'm having now on construction with what it was like working at a desk. Um, when I was working in publishing and it's like it, this can't be like this everywhere or is it? And if it is like this and you seem to be able to relate to this, Camille, so I'm, I'm just thinking like why do we uh, put up with it, I suppose. Like like we feel, I know that often we feel so powerless to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, employers, while they mean well, you know, like at the end of the day their two main goals is to keep workers working and make a profit so right. it's like th- there are so many tools available to us to to make the job easier but there's a learning curve it's new technology there's so much risk involved and you know new processes can be labor intensive and you don't know if it's going to work the results are not guaranteed so it's like what are we what can we be doing differently to 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 set ourselves up for success so that it's not such a battle every day And the communication, I think is definitely a big part of it, but I think there's more to it than that.
1: Well, I mean, anybody that listens to the show knows that probably what I'm going to say, which is it's a very patriarchal industry, right? And um, it's a top down industry run by white men, 90% of it for a long, long time. And there was, it was just my way or the highway. I mean, that was literally the industry that I grew up in and it's still that way on 99% of the job sites. So know, the people that I think, you know, the industry is changing a lot now that women are entering it. And one of the things that I think women bring is communication, just basic common sense communication, right? Like, let's just talk about how to get this job done a little bit faster, uh, easier for everybody. And, and it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not against men, because I'm happily married. But um, there are men that are really good communicators, but they're few and far between. And so, um, in general, the industry is not built on great, simple, basic, common sense, respectful communication, right? It's based on bossing people around. And um, I think that's going to change dramatically in the next 20 years as tons and tons and tons of women come into this trade. Um, I think it's going to change a lot because women generally like to communicate and like to sort of solve the problem easily. Right. Yeah. So that's personally what I think. Um uh, you know, there's other reasons for that. I've been a business owner, there's profit and, and getting things done. But I absolutely believe that women are generally more better communicators and enjoy communicating more than men do. And typically, right, it's a stereotype. Um, so I think you you being there is changing, is changing the workplace. I don't know if you've listened to um, Amanda Giuliani's interview, but she's very much the same way. She runs a your modeling company in New York. And she's very much like you. She's very, very proactive and communicative with her vendors. And, um, and the results show because she gets things done quicker, faster, easier. Um, so you're not alone. <laughs> you're not the only person. <laughs> <laughs> but it can, it can feel like that when you're when you're the person on the job site, right?
2: Yeah. For
1: uh, sure. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you're you're in school now, so it sounds like you already have a pretty high-stress job. But you're also going back to school. Can you sort of tell us about your um, degree that you're earning in construction management, and sort of why you really believe that's going to help you in the future years?
2: Yeah. So uh, at the end of the last job, I uh, had a meeting with the with my my project manager, and I said to him that in order to take on these additional responsibilities um, and be your assistant site superintendent, I feel like I need some training. I need, um, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm adequately prepared to do the job well and I'd like to go back to school. Um, this was all part of a bigger discussion that I had with the owner of the company as well and um, the general sort of like, Sentiment was that I didn't need to go to school, it would be disruptive. We'll teach you everything you need to know to do the job. Um, school's overrated, and I was like, I was a little disappointed because I was hoping that you know maybe instead of a completion bonus, I could get some help with school instead. And um, they they sort of discouraged the whole idea of going back to school, but I so like, I think and I knew deep down and I knew all along that you know like as much as they would want to teach me everything that I would need to know they're also not always equipped to to with the skills themselves to do the job well um and also just the the chaos of a job site in general there's just you know yeah. there's this phones it's always so ringing there's someone always showing up unannounced and it's just yeah. like you know, um, so we tried, and and my my boss does a does a great job of trying to keep up with you know the requests that I have for more information and for for support. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I just I knew that you know if I really wanted to be be good at what I was doing, to have a to to make a difference and to have an impact on um, the job site where I am now, I, I felt like I needed more than just um, you know. My boss showed me how to do things whenever I needed it. So, yeah, like I, I signed up to do a, um, I signed up for a construction management degree, not because I necessarily want to uh, see myself moving into construction management, but the courses that are part of that degree interested me and there were things that, that I felt like I could learn there, like estimating and um, side mm-hmm. processes and leadership skills that um, I think are often taken for granted.
1: Yeah, you will love. Have you done the estimating class yet? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: That's a great class, right? It is, and I didn't know there were so many rules. Like,
1: oh yeah, <laughs> you learn so much in that class. That is like a really like. I feel like that's like four classes in one. To be honest, like that's a really good class to learn.
2: Yeah, I I just submitted an assignment for it, and um, it's like that. There's so much more to there's so much more to it than just, I think what I had pictured, there's like, mm-hmm. you know, different rules as to how much to quantify, when to round up, when to, when to round down, what division it falls under, like, it just, I had no idea there were so many rules and that there was even like a, a job position for people who do just that. And there's a whole like oh, yeah. industry body <laughs> that you can register yourself <laughs> yeah. in as an estimator. And oh, it just it's it blew a my mind.
1: Career. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a full on career. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a really interesting career. Like if you like numbers and and I mean it's it's a really interesting career. I I actually uh, think of it kind of like an accountant, but it's like to me it's a little bit more interesting than being an accountant because of totally. the range of jobs that you're estimating and the things you're doing. But it's kind of like that in the sense of it's just like a whole another world you just dive into, and you can work anywhere. Right? I mean, you can just get a job in working for so many kinds of companies. So um and it yeah, pays well, well apparently and it, pays, it pays very well yeah that you know what I think well. it's a
2: great option for for someone who has some construction experience but maybe yeah. you know wants to get off the tools yeah if you go into mm-hmm. estimating you like working with numbers because I think the biggest challenge for people who go into estimating who haven't worked in construction is knowing what's what but if you've right. already got that experience like you'll know mm-hmm. what a footing is you'll know you know uh, what a foundation wall is so yeah. I think you'd have an advantage
1: and it's a really transferable, highly paid skill, right? Like you can go from any city to any, like, it's, it's a really, it's like being a hairdresser, right? Like you can, you can be a hairdresser anywhere, any city, do it anywhere. But this, yeah. But this is like, you can make a lot of money being an estimator. So uh, we haven't really talked about that on the, on the show. So I'm actually glad that you brought up that class. Cause that is one of the ones that I, I highly recommend for women. Um, and so when, so when does that, when does your schooling finish? When, when will that be I've done? I've just,
2: I've just started it. So like okay.
1: 2024,
2: okay. <laughs> it's a while <laughs> well, away. Another- it's wow, actually, so- it's a, it's okay. like a four-year degree, but it's like really? expedited. It, it's four year, It's a four-year degree part-time and you can, you can't get into it unless you, like there's four different ways to get in. Mm-hmm. And the, the pathway that I picked was um, I have my ticket. And I also need to do some bridging courses, um, but there's a couple of different ways to get in. But it's not like a typical degree that's four years full time. It's like you have to have a little bit of experience or some kind of um, right. so a, kind a of degree like a related. Master's.
1: So it's like a master's degree, basically. I guess so,
2: but it's yeah. it's it's a bachelor's degree. It's a Bachelor of oh. Technology in Construction Management.
1: Wow. Well, that's, you're going to be very, very highly employable after that. Well, like you're not now, but that's a really good degree to get. Um, So, okay. So speaking of teaching, let's switch to um, another reason that you're here, which is an amazing company, MT Copeland, who does online training courses. And you are one of their amazing instructors who teaches how to read commercial blueprints. So can you tell us a little bit about your discovery of this company and like, uh, creating this course and like, um, you know, I just love this. I'm a big fan of continuing education. So can you talk a little bit about your course that you've created?
2: Yeah. So, uh, MT Copeland, they develop online training courses for the skilled trades. They're, they're passionate about democratizing education and making it accessible to everyone who works in the trades and wants to improve specific skill sets. Um, so, there are currently eight courses available, um, everything from construction math to cabinet making, finished carpentry, um, and the one that I did on commercial blueprint reading. And they have a lot more um, in store for the coming out um, over the over the years. So, what I liked about... So, they approached me on Instagram and I remember thinking, why me? Because like I haven't been doing this for that long, but I am really passionate about Blueprints, I have an interest in them that extends beyond the job itself. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, why not me? So I was Mm -hmm. like, this could be a really interesting challenge. And I feel I feel like teaching is a great way to learn as well. Like you learn more about, you know, whatever it is that you're teaching. So um I I really love reading blueprints. The more complicated they are, the better. But I think what (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like a puzzle, and I and I really love it. So, like being able to piece it all together is like you know super interesting to me. I do it in my spare time. I just I love going through it and trying to pick out potential problems so it doesn't screw me over later. But like I see what I, I think, what really resonated with me with what MT Copeland were doing is that it. I, I, the, I see how the people I work with who have come up in the industry from a very young age they didn't have access to the learning opportunities that I had. There was nobody who could teach them how to read blueprints. And the emphasis is on hands-on practical experience only, which I disagree with if you want to improve your skill set. I think feedback and coaching and mentorship are so important in this in this industry. And like we said earlier, the reality of the job set just doesn't allow you know for for a supervisor to make sure that you're getting the kind of training that is well-rounded. and so, It's just inherently incompatible with, like, like we need people in this industry to to have that hands-on experience, but I think combined with the theory, you're going to set yourself up for success in a way that you wouldn't be able to with just hands-on experience. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I think that's the the biggest reason why um, I was able to work my way up from an apprentice to lead carpenter to assistant side super within a relatively short time frame It was because of the training that I received.
1: Yeah. And what I think, I mean, like specifically, like what you're teaching with blueprints is that can be such an obstacle, right? Like I remember when I didn't know blueprints, (laughs) right? It's, there's certain things in every job, any industry, but especially in construction, there's certain like barriers that if you can't get through that little barrier, you can't progress, right? Right. And like blueprints is one of them for me. Um, and there's, there's other things, right. But blueprints is one that really stands out for me is like, when you can understand blueprints, it opens up all kinds of other jobs you can do. And it's easier to ascend when you know that. Right. Um, and so it's, it's like anything else, right. Like learning to read a book, you can't or speak English or learn to read a book. Right. You can't get a job, right. You can't fill out an application. So it's kind of like that blueprints really expand the jobs you can do on a job site. So, um, I love that that's sort of one of the first courses you picked. I'm sure you'll probably teach more with them, but, um, I know for myself reading residential and then learning to read a little bit of commercial was a real game changer for me. And it, it actually really, it actually even like really improved my confidence. Right. I don't know if you feel like that. Like it really kind of, I felt like I was on an insider group all of a sudden, like, oh, like, I really feel like I belong here a little bit. Did you kind of get that sense when you first figured it out?
2: Uh, That's an interesting observation. I look at the blueprints. I think maybe I'm a little more cynical. I, like, look at them and I think this is going to be an issue.
0: This is going to be an (laughs) an issue.
2: This is going to be an RFI. Like right. Okay. I think there's just so much. There are so many moving parts to it, and Absolutely. trying to make sure that you stay ahead of all of those potential problems mm-hmm. is like the biggest nightmare of all. <laughs> because right. so that's
1: you, the superintendent, you I can tell.
2: <laughs> it's because <laughs> you have you have that like that disconnect between the people who are doing the work and the people who design the work. They're right. the people who do, who the, who design the work and not on the job site to really see what it actually means. I actually had an architect on the last job we did. An architect was like unhappy with, um, with, a, with a detail that we had come up with on site. He was like, that's not going to work. I want you to do this. And he drew a sketch of this fire rated assembly and he's like, it has to be this. And he's like, he, he turns to look at me and he says, you know what? I've actually never seen this ever being installed before. I don't know what this actually looks like in real life. So it's crazy because he knows what the assembly is, what's required and why it's required. He knows how to draw it, but he didn't know what it actually looked like in real life. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, where the rubber hits the road, right, of, like, the reality of, like, this is what can be done in real life, (laughs)
2: right? Yeah, so it's such a battle just trying to, like, you know, pull off the design within the constraints of what we're dealing with on site. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, I think, like, I know that the guys that I work with, like, they, a lot of them have like four times the experience that I do, but I'm the one giving them directions. And a big part of that is because I can read the blueprints. I know what needs to happen next. So I'd love for that opportunity to be made available to everyone, for that to be accessible to, to anyone who wants to improve that skill set. So in that sense, you know, like I I really love what MT Copeland is doing because they're opening up those career pathways for, for people who would otherwise not know how to improve those skills that they want to improve.
1: Yeah. And you'd have to physically go to a class somewhere. Right. And one, you'd have to know about it. Right. And then you'd have to take time off from your job site. Right. And whereas this is, you just learn it online. So I love that. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about like, how did you think about, how did you think about like how you were going to plan your class? How did you know what was important to you and the steps that you really thought a beginner should go through in learning how to read commercial blueprints for the first time?
2: So the course that I did um, is uh, not designed for people who have never read blueprints before. Um, Jordan actually did a, um, he's um, the head instructor with MT Copeland. He did a class on residential blueprint reading. And the course that I did was sort of like assuming that you've already done that course, Jordan's course. So it's designed for people who have some experience working in construction, people who wanna improve their blueprint reading skills and wanna know more than just what is what on the page. So it goes into the differences between residential and commercial builds, who's responsible for what, how to deal with problems that inevitably come up, as well as some of the nitty-gritty nerdy stuff like fire-rated assemblies and adaptable design requirements. So when I was coming up with the course content for that, um, I guess I sort of thought, well, what would I want to know if I was working on a commercial job site? What are the things that you don't typically learn about um, in a textbook? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and and it how can it how, up. Yep. yeah and how can we make it relatable to people who may experience um, similar things on their own job sites?
1: Hmm. Interesting. And how how was it like? What was your experience filming it was Was that uncomfortable? Was that um, Was that fun? Like, what was it like when you were actually like you know doing the actual class right, creating the content?
2: Oh, man, it was like such a surreal experience. I um, have never been on in front of a camera like that before. Like I I initially thought that they were just going to like send a guy with a camera, but like it was so much more than that. Um, and what's so special about what MT Copeland does is they put a lot of emphasis on the quality of the of the production, the course delivery. They make it engaging. So it's not like, you know, your typical... You know, a, a DOI video shot in the backyard with an iPhone and then uploaded to YouTube. They they brought in a film crew, uh, Arcade Motion, that specializes in documentary filmmaking. So the whole setup was like a movie set with like three cameras, lights, a director of photography, a sound engineer. It was just like I was so overwhelmed by by what the what, what was actually happening, and it was like it was two 12 hour days that we did the shoot. And in, at the end of it, I was like, I have this newfound respect for people who do this every day. People who work in TV and film, like I could, I could not do it. <laughs> There's well, just so much that goes on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what happens on a job site, right? There's so much that goes into it that people don't see.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a really cool experience in that sense. Cause I saw something that I've never seen before. It was, it was such a crazy experience and it's one that I will never forget for sure.
1: Nice. And so, um, so what are your plans with this job then? So you've got, you've got this course. I'm going to, we're going to put a link to it so people can go in. I highly recommend this course. It's very inexpensive, very accessible, like go and learn blueprints from Ellie. But in addition to that and your schooling, like sort of, what do you see? What do you hope happens for you in this next year? We kind of looking forward to.
2: <laughs> I'm glad that I made it to Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> this week was especially tough for me. I had two assignments due uh, for school, and then at work, it's just been yeah. a gong show with like nothing is ready. Like the plans yeah. are still not finished, but we're still working and we're putting footings in and setting steel posts, and it's like. We don't know if it's any, if any of that is going to change and it's really tough on 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 the guys because it's like the working conditions are hard enough as it is. It's just I've never worked. It's just, yeah, just this particular job has some unique challenges around it. So right. I think like I, I'm really passionate about like pushing for change on the job site, like making, taking little steps here and there to improve the working conditions as much as I can in, in, within the, the, the scope of my job description, I suppose. It's like, well, what can I do to, so that you don't feel like you're coming in every day, day after day and not knowing why we're doing what we're doing. Like I couldn't do that with a two and a half year job. We should have a good idea of what the goal is, what the motivations are, why we're doing what we're doing and how we can make the most of that instead of like feeling like we're powerless to, you know, have any ownership over the work that we're doing. And I think having that context is, is super important to job satisfaction. And so, like, it's a bit of a battle because I feel like I'm sort of in between, um, like, I report to someone and then I have, you know, um, a crew of carpenters that I'm responsible for. And it's, it's kind of awkward because I, I feel like I have a responsibility to management, but I also feel like I have a responsibility to the people um, that I work with so finding a balance there is like something that I'm, that I'm working on and, 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 and getting through school. Like I'm still kind of figuring out if, if, if I'm, um, if I can manage both, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I can, I can tell, I can tell how strong you are. And I love that you're, you know, your last name heart, it, anybody that's listening can tell how much you care about your coworkers and everybody that you work with. So I think your heart is going to get you through this tough time, right? And that's part of what, you know, that's what makes a diamond, right? It's all these really tough things that we just don't think we're going to ever get through, right? And yeah. that's what creates a magnificent woman, which I can tell you
2: are. Well, oh, <laughs> so thank you.
1: You're going to make it just fine.
2: Hey, <laughs> if, if I can fun, do it, then anyone can do it.
1: Do it. You're going to do it. I can tell. So, Um, but I just thank you for sharing and just being honest about what it's like to really work on a job site and really have a tough job, a stressful job. Um, but a job that you can tell is quite fulfilling for you in the sense of it's a real challenge. And I can tell you love a good challenge and just thank you for sharing, you know, what you know about blueprints with other women and other, you know, young men who want to learn. And I love that you're literally in the middle Of your own training and learning and success but you're already passing it on to another group of people right through mt copeland i just i love that you're already literally giving back and you're still in the middle of it so you know just thank you for being on the show and and just sharing what it's really like
2: thank you that's really kind of you thank you so much for having me on
0: to remodel your life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it. If you would subscribe through iTunes, you can always send us feedback through email at Camille at com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to remodelyourlifepodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show.